brother. Appreciate you. Hey, y'all. It is so, so good to be with you tonight. Um, Rachel asked me back in the spring if I might want to come and share a message over the summer, but it was just too crazy with Nate and Maddie Grease getting married. Maddie Grease, my daughter, and then Abby Ellen, another daughter, having some hip surgery and just so much uncertainty. And then I think because I um, practically begged her to invite me to come another time, she asked if I would be willing to teach in the fall. Um, and so I was like, yes, let's do that. And then I discovered, well, I just sign up for a class every Tuesday night. So tonight is the very first night that I could be with you. And so I am stoked and I hope that uh, it's going to be a message for you that is um, meaningful. And um, before we pray to that end, I want to read a quote by Francis Chan who said, if we stop and think for 10, 20, 30 seconds about who we are praying to before we pray, our prayers would be vastly different. And I think that's true. I think that's true. The Jesus who said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So just let's think about who this God is that we're praying to and who we're going to worship through a response to a message tonight. Okay, let's um, pause, think who that is, and, and I will pray also. Father God, Holy Spirit, Jesus, we pause to welcome you into this space and to move in our hearts and minds. We recognize and confess our utter dependence on you. If it were not for you willing it to be, we would not have our next breath. And unless you open our hearts and minds to understand what you have written in your holy scriptures, we simply will not understand and be changed. And so we come to you, the awesome, powerful, and oh-so-personal and intimate, gracious God, and ask that you would reveal to each of us what you have to say and change us tonight. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, we're going to read the passage through one time and, uh, and then break it down. So if you would open your Bibles to Second John, which is very near the end. It's uh, right before Revelation, essentially. Oh, man, you guys probably can't see that, right? Well, <laughs> you have young eyes. Maybe you can read that. I'm going to be reading ESV. You're welcome to pull that up on your phone if you prefer to read in the version that I'm reading from. So let's just capture it here. Uh, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh, such, as one, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. 
Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Okay, so um, it starts off the elder. John the Apostle refers to himself as the elder. He was the last surviving apostle, and just as a point of interest, the only one who did die of natural causes. It was written around 90 to 95 AD, so at the end of the first century. And uh, so he's about, uh, close to 100 years old. This is really an important fact, I think. It's, it's important for us to think through and take the example from John to be devoted to Jesus and to the ministry of the gospel pervading every aspect of life and to the kingdom of God progressing forward until we take our very last breath. That if we live to almost 100, that we are still sending letters to people saying, follow Jesus and abide in the truth. And it also reminds us to look to those who are elder, right? There, there are some folks in this church, I think of uh, Bill and Peg Futrell, who are in their 90s. And he was the uh, custodian at Davisville for years, just having such an impact on every person just by, the, by his greeting. And so um, I'm looking to have them over for dinner. So I challenge you to get Bill and Peg over to your house before I get them to mine. Uh, so a little more history here. Uh, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. So the church has been scattered, uh, largely uh, very persecuted, mercilessly in many cases. And the, the believers are meeting in house churches primarily. So John fled likely from Jerusalem to Ephesus, which is um, in West Turkey across the Aegean from Greece. And... Um, that's a pretty long way to go when you don't have a car. So I wanted to get a, a map up there, but I didn't, I didn't get around to that. But it's a, it's a hike. Um, so we know it's from the elder John and to the elect lady and her children. This is likely code in the first century church. I don't know if you can hear that, okay, but it was uh, code. Send out the... <laughs> yeah, just do it. So uh, John's code was better. Do we want to replay it? Can you play it louder? Sure. Okay. Uh, so this is code in the first century church. Actually, that's just what I Anyway, John's code is better than Minion's, and his delivery is better than mine. So um, the, the lady, uh, it could be a, a woman that he wanted to warn and encourage. 
or it could be a congregation. Um, it's notable that the church is called the elect in Matthew 24 and Luke 13, to name a couple of places, and the bride of Christ is referred to many times throughout scripture. So it makes sense that the elect lady could refer to a church, the elect bride of Christ. Uh, so likely it was a church that met in the home of a woman and her children, and he was writing covertly to obscure their identity um, to keep them from being persecuted. So uh, now when I am studying a passage, I, what I really love to do is to print it out, or actually in my Bible, I really uh, prefer to do this. And so I don't know if your great eyes can see, but, but I do this so that it pops out so I can see what the passage is about. So I don't know if y'all can see that, but why don't you just start um, coming out what things you see repeated. Are you able to see these things? Okay, so what words do you see repeated? Truth. Truth, nice. What else? Love. Love, yep. Commandments. Commandments, yep. Jesus Christ. Yes. Father. Yep. Joy. Joy, okay, so joy is there. Let's see, is joy there? Mercy and peace are there. Joy is not repeated. But we do have, so we have the, the Father, we have Jesus, we have truth. I don't know if you can see abides very well. Abides is a few times here. And then teaching down here. And walk. We do have children repeated a couple of times as well. So I just love to do it this way. Um, again, so I can see it. Um, if we were to take out the obvious, extremely critical part of God and Jesus and written to the children, if we take out the like persons, in it and just the concepts, then what are we left with? Six things. Truth. Truth. Commandments. Same. Abide. Them all. Teaching. Yeah. Oh, love. Right. So, well, I was saying that if we, we know that the passage is about Jesus and the Father, and it's written to the lady and her children. So the ideas that they're trying to present to the children include truth, love, abide, walk, command, and teaching. So um, if you get this, love and truth, walking and abiding, teaching and commands, you've gotten a huge piece of what this is about. Now, there is another aspect, which is guarding against false teaching and maintaining doctrinal purity, which is just kind of a big word for saying keeping all the teaching according to the Bible and filtering everything that comes to you through the Bible, which is the authoritative truth. All right, now check this out. I need to give creds to my brother, Jim, who summarized the book in this way. Speaking the truth in love works to guard against false teaching by abiding and walking in God's commands and teachings. All right, so that's the book. <laughs> okay, there's more. So, um, okay, so we have the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. So now, I want you to imagine that Dan and Winston come to their friend Jen 
and they say, hey, we're heading into the city. We have an interview uh, to be newscasters at a major network television station. Do you think we're ready to go? And they come to me like this. Oh my God. <laughs> okay, so I could be like, yeah, bro, yeah, you know what? I think you're good to go. Yep. Okay, because it's like awkward to tell them, no, you're really not ready to go. Um, so if I were to say, yeah, you're ready to go, would that be love? No. No. Why not? Because it's not true. Right? Now, this is kind of a silly example. Like, we were going to do it where they were just a little off, and there was just like one crumb, but I didn't know if you'd be able to see it. Um, so it's a, you can see it, right? Um, so this is just kind of a silly example to say that love apart from truth is actually not love. So this word here in this, in this passage is agape, which means unconditional love that is consistent with selfless acts of putting others above yourselves. Now, many of us understand this concept but to live it out is extremely difficult, right? Because we know that this means even to love our enemies. And if we're really honest, sometimes people feel like they might be enemies, even those who live in our own homes, right? If they borrowed something they didn't put back, or they left the dishes for us, or we disagree. And we want to make sure that they know that we're right, rather than making sure the relationship is right. So sometimes we're operating out of that super selfish, prideful place. And when we pause long enough to realize that these are the things we do, we can probably wave the white flag and say, okay, I, I can't agape. And apart from Jesus, we cannot. But with Jesus, all things are possible. He enables us as we draw on the power of the Holy Spirit. So next, the next word is truth. And truth in the passage is aletheia, conformity to reality or actuality. So, for, sorry, I don't have this one. <laughs> you can just put a blanket up there. For generations, and even in the recent past, people would agree that there was a truth outside of themselves. And now, we live in a postmodern, humanistic culture that says... You have your truth, I have mine, and I am the master of my life. So we create truth. We determine what is truth according to our culture. Do you see the magnitude of the shift? If I determine truth for me, I could say, well, I decide what is good. I could decide what to do with my body, myself, without consequence. And if I'm Joe Schmo and I decide that what I want to do with myself is assault yourself, then that's right for me and tough for you. So a point I really want to drive home is that we have to really know how to think. Because behind every, every thought is a presupposition and implications. There's a construct, right? In this case of me saying that I am in charge of myself, the presupposition is that there is no supreme authority over me. The implication is that if I'm in charge of myself and everyone is in charge of their selves, 
and we can do whatever we want, we determine, because we determine our own truth, no one is safe from someone who has ungodly mindset. Do you see this? It's, it's illogical and very harmful. It seems reasonable enough statement on the surface to say, I'm in charge of myself. However, the reality is that God is in charge of all the things, including you and me, and anything we do falls under his jurisdiction. Now you may say, well, you know, if we didn't look to God, certainly our society would determine what is right and wrong. Well, if you just look at our country now, you can see how divided there, there's not a consensus on what's right and wrong. And if some barbaric group were to come in and take over, it's whoever's strongest, their idea of what is, of what is right takes over and we're stuck. You know, uh, my brother Jeff just went to minister in South Sudan recently, and he told us in our family of a tribe that is nomadic, and they go around and they kill just to instill fear. They rob other tribes of their children and then raise them as their own. They have a big infertility problem, and they figure, well, if we're going to keep our tribe alive, this is what we're going to have to do. So all the other tribes think this is wrong, but their tribe says this is right because they don't operate under a supreme authority. So in any culture, why shouldn't I steal your kid? Well, currently our laws, you know, we have laws against that, but you see our laws shifting. I don't know if you remember back in um, 2021, I don't remember, I don't know if this is still happening, but in 2021, there's so much looting going on and you were allowed to, I know in California, you were allowed to steal up to $999 worth of things without consequence. Okay, that's here in America. That's not in some um, country that we, you know, we don't know how they're operating. We think that that's so far over there, but things are happening here too. So friends, where I'm going with this is that truth is defined by the creator God. Our job is to discern what that truth is. And we may disagree, on what God is saying, but we don't get to determine it, okay? So God defines truth. He reveals it to us in his word. We discover it, not determine it, and then we obey it. We're going to get to obedience a little bit later, but the bottom line is God defines truth. We discover it and obey it. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So similar to how we cannot have love without truth, truth without love is ungodly. Now, we can have truth without love, but it's not God's way. Ephesians 4, 14 to 16, so that they may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful, and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Beloved, if you have something to say, but you cannot say it in actual love, in word, in tone, in heart, don't say it. I've been taking a couple of seminary classes this semester, and there's been a lot of talk about the Imago Dei, the image 
of God. And so uh, my professor was saying that we either image God or we distort the image of God to others. And it's a bit like going into a fun house where the mirrors are wavy and your appearance is distorted. So when we speak truth without love, we image bearers reflect a distorted image of God. So let's let our mirrors be straight and let's speak the truth in love. So returning uh, once again to the passage, um, it says, and not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son. Now, this is a very normal greeting for an epistle. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ happens a lot. Um, he throws in mercy. You'll see that in a couple different letters. And I love how he also, he makes the implicit explicit. In some other letters, um, it's implied that God will. He's, he's offering a blessing, grace and peace be with you. But here he says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. So I just love that we can bank on that. So John wraps up this greeting with these four words, in truth and love. So are we getting the picture that love and truth, truth and love, that these are partners and we're to keep them together? We, we have that? Okay. So I just need to add a, a thought in here that it just is so critical because the Bible is the source of truth and is reliable and dependable. It is also the source of hope, right? For example, when it says, in Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength. It means that God is our refuge and strength, right? So uh, we have friends, we have family, but they're not always awake and they're not always available. And for heaven's sake, they're not all powerful, always good, or all-knowing, right? So Anna Maria, can Brooke be um, your refuge and strength? She cannot. Nope. She can be a beacon who points you back to Jesus, but she can't be your hope or your refuge. And I also want to assert to you that as many of you um, may enter marriage relationships sometime in the next handful of years, your spouse can't be your hope, can't be your refuge and strength either. Um, I remember back early uh, in my marriage, just a couple years in, I discovered that I loved my husband more than I loved God. That was terrifying. I thought all sorts of things like, oh gosh, is the Lord going to take him because I love him more than I love God? And of course, God's not like that. But I just had all this kind of crazy thinking. And it was very gracious of God that he did turn things around for me, that I was able to put God back in his proper place. Uh, but it was a really uh, scary time. And so I just want to assert to you that your spouse is there to guide you to Christ, to walk you to Christ, to direct you to God, but he or she can't be your God. Just another one of the examples of hope in God's word is Zephaniah three seventeen. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness, over you and you and you and you and you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. 
this is great hope. And this is truth. Okay, so we're already at verse 4. Just kidding. Uh, we are in verse 4, but the rest of it's going to go faster. So uh, I just had to hit some things there to lay the groundwork. So I, uh, verse 4, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. So the word walk here, the Greek is peripateo, to walk or live or behave in a specified manner. So the idea is to be consistent in a, in a direction, similar to the word abide that was back in verse 2. Uh, the Greek is meno, remain or stay in a certain state, condition, or activity. Command, and tole, an authoritative direction or instruction to do something. So we're getting the picture here in verse 4 of walking, abiding, and truth that are God's commands. Verse 5, and now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Love one another. It's a theme for John. He wrote it in the gospel. He wrote it in 1 John, and he's writing it again here. Verse 6, and this is love. When you read a phrase like, and this is love, you want to pay special attention because he's about to tell you something very clearly. So, and this is agape, that we walk, remain, abide according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk, remain, abide in it. And we speak of love in some different ways, right? We say, I love you. Uh, the word says, greater love has no one than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. But if you would summarize what God is saying about this verse, about love in this verse, how would you do this? It says, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. So can you put up the slide, please, the one with the question mark? So complete the equation. Love equals, what do you think a word is there? Obedience. Obedience. Yes. I was like, you guys are great students. Woo. Okay. So you can put up the answer. Love equals obedience. Very good. Nice job, team. Oh, that's okay. Oh, did you put it out that way? <laughs> that's so great. That's so great. Well, great job, Rachel. You know, you're a great teacher. You help your students. That's what you're supposed to do. You can tell she's a teacher, right? If we love God, we will obey him. We will do what he wants us to do. His commands are in his word. It's critical that we are reading the scriptures, friends. If you're not in the scriptures, let's dive in. If you're not sure where to go, let's talk about it. If you're like, I don't, I don't understand it when I read it, let's talk about it, right? You have, you have life groups. There's Bible studies. You come here. We talk afterwards. Oh, I forgot to put my number up there. I'll give you my number at the end. Um, I would truly love to talk to you about any of this stuff, any of your questions, but dive into the word. We have to memorize it. Let it penetrate our hearts and obey them. Let, us cha let it change us, right? Because God's word is what changes us, right? God himself changes us, and his word, because that's his truth, changes us. John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself or manifest myself to him. Powerful stuff. And also in the Great Commission, 
in verse 20, it, in the New Life, uh, New Living Translation, it says, uh, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Other versions say observe or follow, but it's the same idea. We're, we're not just to know stuff, right? Knowing is not what he's looking for. Not a bunch of head knowledge. Okay, verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So in the day, uh, Gnosticism was uh, a big false teaching, a heretical teaching, something that was against the scriptures, and they taught that anything that was physical was bad. Anything that was spiritual was good, and they taught that Jesus did not come in the flesh which is a really big problem, right? Because our redemption is dependent on it, right? Jesus came in the flesh to die on the cross, be raised again to conquer our sins and to reconcile us to God. So if we need to be reconciled to God, then that means that in our natural self, there's a problem, there's a split, right? So what, what is that? What causes the division with God? Say it out loud. Sin. sin, yep, sin. So God is perfect and holy, and he can't have fellowship with sin, which is why in our natural fallen state, we don't have fellowship. We're divided from God. The consequences of that sin are death, physical and spiritual death. But Jesus died on the cross to conquer that and to redeem us and to bring us back into right relationship with him. And friend, if you are here and this is not something that you have taken into your life. If you have not said, that Jesus, I want him to be my Savior and Lord. I want to give my life to him. Let's talk, right? Let's talk about what are the roadblocks to doing that. He came from heaven, the perfect and holy God, to walk on this earth knowing full well what was coming for him. And he did it willingly. Willingly. He died because he loved you. He loves you now. So whatever's getting in your way to giving your life to Jesus, talk to your small group leader, talk to your friend who brought you, please talk to me. I would just so love to have that conversation with you. In terms of the deceiver and the antichrist, this is uh, because it's talking about um, many deceivers having come, it's the spirit of antichrist, the, the spirit of deception, not the antichrist. Uh, that we, we hear about in Revelation. Um, verses 8 through 11. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked words. Works, sorry, not words. It's important to remember cultural context here. This was the first century AD, and what kind of churches were they meeting in? House, House churches, right. So this is not saying to you and me, do not welcome someone into your house to have a conversation with them about Jesus. Uh, my husband Jeff and I just, um, well, it was several years ago, had some Jehovah's Witnesses come knock on our door, and we welcomed them in, 
And they sat down and we started having a conversation. They did not know what they were in for because we were like, yeah, come on in. We got to share with you. Um, so they sat and they were trying to share their false teaching with us. And we were like, well, do you know that Jesus actually, you know, so we started sharing the gospel. And every time we would talk about Jesus and truth, the man came in a suit and tie and he would, he would grab it at his collar like this. He was so uncomfortable. It was like a spirit of Antichrist, right? He just could not tolerate the truth, right? And so uh, he, ended up, he and his wife ended up leaving. Uh, we invited them back again. We had another conversation, same kind of, oh, I can't stand this truth thing. Um, we wanted them to know Jesus, but they unfortunately left um, still apart from Christ. But so, so this isn't saying don't welcome someone in to help them know Jesus. What it is saying is to the first century church, that the churches, the homes were the churches, don't bring them in and give them an opportunity to teach you wrong things. Okay, that's a really important distinction here. Uh, the context of the passage, itinerant preachers, meaning traveling preachers and uh, missionaries, were traveling around, and many of them were great and doing great works in the, in the house churches, but there were some false teachers. And so John was urgently and abruptly instructing them not to allow them to uh, give voice to the erroneous, destructive teachings. Um, some of you may know that my husband, Jeff, was a Secret Service agent, and they did a lot of counterfeit investigation. Well, not, not counterfeit investigation, a lot of investigating counterfeit money. Um, and so what they did was they studied the authentic bills so thoroughly that they could identify a counterfeit bill from a mile away. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like, he showed me some of the things. Like, he, he was like, well, this is why it's counterfeit. And I was like, oh, I never have seen that. But he was studied up, right? And so this is how we need to know our scriptures. We need to study them up and know them so that when false teaching comes, we filter it through and we understand that this is false teaching. Now, the issue is there are about 2,000 more pages of the scriptures than one single $100 bill. So we better get started. <laughs> the analogy does break down a little bit because I do think that we should learn a little bit about some false teachings so that we can understand what is false about them and we can help others understand. And so um, I just want to, there's this one quote, Martin Luther, the great reformer said, peace if possible, truth at all costs. Peace, if possible, truth at all costs. In our culture, it's quite the opposite. It's peace at all costs, and we'll be truthful if it's convenient. If we assert God's truth in certain settings, it's construed as hatred. Now, of course, we can sometimes come across as hateful, and that is not to be true of us, right? Truth and love, always. So what I want to say to you is that I'm going to bring some, I'm going to teach a bit about false teaching. If you disagree with me, would you please determine in your heart of hearts that you will not cancel this message, that you will not cancel me or this conversation? Because I vow to you that I will not cancel you. This has got to be a safe place for us to have hard conversations about what the scriptures say, about what we believe, what we would want to be true, 
right? Sometimes we don't like what the scriptures say. But they are what they are, and God's ways are higher than our ways. So we have got to settle in with them, right? So we're going to talk about this afterwards in small groups. And I, I beg of you, if you have issue with anything I'm going to say, would you bring it up? Because we need to talk about it. You know, it's, it's like a, a fish in a fish tank. We may say, oh, he's all bound up in that fish tank. But what happens if we remove the fish tank? He spills out on the floor and he dies, right? So God puts parameters on life to protect us and to love us. Okay. So with false teaching, there is also often some thread of truth, right? There may be some truth in there, and we need to see that. We also need to gather, well, what is the falsehood? So there's the health and wealth prosperity gospel. Well, it's not gospel. They call it that. It's the health and wealth prosperity philosophy. Well, God does bless, right? He blesses abundantly in many different ways, sometimes physically, sometimes monetarily, sometimes relationally, many, many blessings. However... A primary sign that the prosperity gospel is false is that Jesus suffered, right? Tremendous suffering. Additionally, Paul was shipwrecked, stoned, and left for dead, imprisoned, um, bitten by a snake, betrayed. Uh, All of the apostles, except for the author of this book, were martyred. So I think we can hardly say that it's all going to go great with us. Right? Can we can we agree on that? And, and if you can't agree with that, let's talk. Right? We're going to talk about that. Um, Romans eight seventeen. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. First Peter four thirteen. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that at the revelation of God, at the revelation of His glory you may also rejoice and be overjoyed. Um, Which of you ladies was at the women's event where there were two women that were interviewed and one of them was Beth Ann? Yeah, really powerful, right? She shared about how in 2018 she was sexually assaulted and it tore her up physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally for a year. She was just destroyed. And then she's talking to her sister, and, and she said, have you ever thought that maybe God chose you for this? And it was like, whoa. And so I talked to Bethany, and I asked her if I could share um, a bit about this. And she enthusiastically and wholeheartedly said, yes, please share. And she said, what we, naturally, what we would naturally put our faith and comfort in gets stripped away. And we get to put our faith only in him. This is what comes through suffering. She said, we can't grab on to the things of the world because he takes the things that are perishing so we can see him and his character more clearly. And these light and momentary afflictions are transient compared to an eternity apart from God. Now that, that is torture, torturous. 
Another teaching is the New Apostolic Reformation. Uh, I'm just going to read directly. There's a website called gotquestions.org. I'm on, I'm on the shortest.org. Thank you. Thank you. The New Apostolic Reformation, or NIR, is an unbiblical religious movement that emphasizes experience over scripture, mysticism over doctrine, and modern-day apostles over the plain text of the Bible. Of particular distinction in the New Apostolic Reformation are the role and power of spiritual leaders and miracle workers, the reception of new revelations, not just illumination of the scripture that we have, and an overemphasis on spiritual warfare and pursuit of cultural and political control in society. The seeking of signs and wonders in the NAR is always accompanied by blatantly false doctrine. Revelation 22:19 says, and if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. So we're not to add anything or take anything away, right? We have these other um, false religions, uh, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, they have their prophet that have told them some things. Uh, Swedenborgian is, is right down the street. There's some, I've met some special people that are part of that, but they have their person and, and they take from that person's writings rather than from the truth of scripture. Have you heard of critical race theory? In a nutshell, it teaches that people are defined by their race. That this race, this race is like this, and that race is like that, and people are identified by their color, their heritage, rather than how Christ defines us, which is as his children, if we have chosen him as savior. He says, we are his family. And that we are to be united, not divided by color, race, gender, or anything else that would threaten to put us in a box. Galatians 3, 27 to 29 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. And you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise. Is there still racism in our country? Absolutely. Is it okay? No way. We, of all people, are to protect the marginalized. We must stand against that. We must also stand against being told that you're like this because you look like that and you grew up like this, right? So we take what's true and we let go of what's false, okay? And we, in this place, must stand against marginalizing people. We're to love them. We're to be the best lovers of them, right? Okay, I wanna make sure that's clear because we need to hold on to the truth that is there and get rid of the lies. Can you tell that I'm a little passionate about this? Here's kind of a subtle one. You are enough. Friends, you are not enough. I hope that that made you go, yes! Yes, I'm so free from the burden of being enough. Enough of trying to be enough because you're just not. But Jesus is enough, 
right? And if he is in you, then he will be enough for whatever he chooses for you to do and to be, right? But what I will say is that you are worthy, okay? You're not enough, but you are worthy. Not because of performance, but because he decided that you are valuable. He made you on purpose, guys. He knit you together in your mom's womb, and he was like, oh, I wanted those fabulous blue eyes there, right? And I wanted, I love that you laugh so much, and it creates this fullness of spirit in the room. I love that you are diligent to seek the truth, right? He made you special. You're special. I know you guys don't have kids, but I do. And I remember after I had my first kid, I was like, I don't, I don't think I can love anybody else this much. I was scared. I'm not kidding. I was like, oh, this second one, I don't know. I don't know. But then she came along, right? Poor guys. Listen, I'm nuts about her, right? Nuts about her. And then I had the third and the fourth, and I'm like, wow, you really can love all these people this much, right? And that's how God feels about you. Sometimes I'm like, I'm not that special, right? Like, there's all these billions of people, but he loves me and he loves you just like I'm insane about my children, right? And kind of like dance out. I'm like, I'm insane about you guys too, like those of you that I know. And if I don't know you, I really want to know you. I really want to know you because I want to love you like I love these guys. I mean, I already love you because God wells up love in my heart for people, but I want to love you like I know you, you know? So anyway, you're not enough, but you are worthy. He's called you worthy. Guys, this is a tough one, okay? You got to stay with me. Gender and sex are not two different things, right? God made us in his image. Male and female, he created us. So this construct that, um, that there's sex and then you there's this kind of development of whatever gender you're going to be and you can choose that or that maybe we should encourage people to trans if that's how they feel that is not scriptural that's not scriptural again should we be the people most welcoming to folks who are struggling with these absolutely right if someone is like, wow, I just don't know. I feel like I'm a girl in a guy's body. Let's talk about that. Because you're not. But I understand it can be confusing. So let's go to the scriptures. Let's help you to figure this out, right? Um, if we believe that God des- God's design is to work a certain way, and he gave us all we need to work in this space, And when we move outside of that plan, it must be detrimental. (coughs) There's also this whole uh, group of folks who are, you know, I know you know, called furries, right? They, They were created in the image of God. Animals were not created in the image of God. So they're so much more valuable than their understanding. We can have compassion and show them the way, right? Walking in God's ways. This is another hard one. 
okay? Our culture wants to say that abortion is okay. But God determines when life begins and when it, when it ends. He's the only one. He has supreme authority. I understand there may be some in this room that have had an abortion. There may be some guy in this room that got himself in a spot and encouraged his girlfriend to have an abortion. And that's not without impact on you. We want to embrace you and help you to move through that pain, right? It's, it's not okay, just like all sin is not okay. But we're gonna wrap our arms around and we're gonna engage this and we're gonna walk in God's ways because he's supreme authority and he's supreme love. And so we're really sorry that you're hurting if that's you. And if we meet someone out there, we need to embrace them and draw them in. Right? Are you with me? Yeah. All right. I'm going to make this quick. We've got very little left. So verse 12. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. I just love so much that John says, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. And I think you guys do a really fantastic job of this. In a texting world, you guys are meeting for Bible study, you're meeting for life group, you're meeting for Tuesday nights and volleyball and all sorts of things. And so I think this is great and I just want to really encourage that and, and as much as possible to have conversations face to face. So I just want to like run through just a couple uh, summary statements and then we'll go to small groups. Um, the basics of Christianity are cling to truth, love, and obedience. God defines truth. We discover it and obey it. And then also, Rach, can you put up the speaking the truth and love one that has all the different colors? The blue and the purple. <laughs> or put up Dan and Winston, that's better. It's not better, I'm just kidding. Uh, speaking the truth in love. I mean, nothing's better than God's word, so I can't say that Dan and Winston are better. Speaking the truth in love works to guard against false teaching by abiding and walking in God's commands and teachings. All right, let's just pray before we go to, go to small groups. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for dying on the cross for our sins. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray that you would draw that person to you and help them to um, overcome the obstacles to have this personal relationship with you. Lord, I pray for each of us that none of us would be led astray by false teaching. And Lord, if anyone feels irked or angry or um, in any way um, opposed to any of this teaching, I pray that they would not walk out of here angry, that they would uh, engage and interact on these things. Lord, I pray that we'd be unified as Christ's body. We're so grateful for who you are. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks, guys. All right, everybody, can we get another round of applause for Mrs. Wood? That was fantastic. 
All right, everybody, you got places to go, I got places to go. Let's just run through this. We'll get the announcement out of the way and get it to All right, so <clears throat> why are we all here? We got a mission statement for that. Maybe you're a young adult and you want to be fully influenced to follow Jesus. Then you're in the right place, everybody. I don't, I don't know how else to tell that for you. You're in the, the best place possible. All right, I don't know if you heard, in the month of December, we're running a two-for-one special. I know. Unbelievable. Can I get the next slide, please? Oh, you're already there. No, no, no. Bad job. You were already there. You're, you're ahead of me. That's fantastic. We put two life groups on the same night. I know. I know. And you can probably go to both of them if you try hard enough, to be totally honest with you. All right. Let's see. Tonight was Mrs. Wood. You were all here for that. I was here for that. That was a great time. That was just fantastic. Next week is Pastor Tim. I don't know if you met him. Just great guy. Just big winner. Big winner. Jack's dad. Or Jack, Jack is his son. And there's a connection there, I'm sure. <clears throat> all right. What's coming up for all of us? We have a men's thing. Maybe you're a man. If not, then you're a woman. And we have something for that too. And if you're both, then we have a movie night. So just, just imagine that. Everybody wins all around. All right. So we're going to go to small group and talk about most likely serious stuff. Um, if you're a girl, you can go downstairs. Yes, question, bro. Can you elaborate more on life groups for people? Oh, yeah. All right. If you don't know what a life group is... Okay. Hmm. All right. So imagine a group of people who all pursue God together. And it's usually funny. It's not that you know, that's not why you're going, though. You're not going because it's funny. It usually is, though, to be honest. But it's just a great time. So, yeah. So uh, there's two groups. So that you start as a, a big group. Sometimes you don't. And then you split into two. So... On Mondays, there's two different groups. On Wednesdays, there's two different groups. And when you go, they determine what group you're going to go in. Yes, yes. Yeah. So you don't even have to do any work. Just show up. And what? Starts it starts at 7. It starts at 7. Don't be late. That'd be awful. All right. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to go to small groups now. So if you're a woman, go downstairs. There's going to be one group with Rachel and one group with Brooke. No, if, Ellie. With Ellie. Oh, fantastic. All right. And then if you're a man, one group is going to go with Sam. And he will go over there, and then my group will go over there into that room. Um, all right, three, two, one, break. Nice job, everybody. We made it. Oh, there's Mrs. Wood's phone number. All right, break, everybody. Nice job. No, no, I didn't ask you.